Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Mr. Movie Club. I am your host, Mr. Barney Barn Barn, coming to you from Lockdown City, New York. Um, we have a fun one tonight. And uh, I think we all need fun ones, right? With everything that's going on in the world. It's uh, me and my buddy Mike Rovner and his buddy Mark Baba. I think I'm saying that name right. Uh, and we have a bromance and we just talk about all things Tarantino. Um, and it's really fun. And these guys are much better Tarantino experts than me. Um, I, I, ha- I have now seen all of Quentin Tarantino's films. I had never seen Jackie Brown. So right before we agreed to do this, I uh, went and watched it and um, sight. Um, I don't think it's one of his best, but, um, but it's a real fun talk and that's coming up and, um, Take a listen to that. Um, I'll be quick today. The only other thing I've been watching is um, recommended by my friend Jess, who was on a couple podcasts ago, is uh, The Terror on, um, uh, I believe it's on AMC. I should know this, right? Yeah. And it's with uh, one of my favorite actors, Jared Harris. Um, And it's... there's actually two seasons. It's a, what do you call it? A um, anthology series. So I haven't seen season two, but season one of The Terror, which is back from 2018. So I know this is old news, but I was just blown away. It's about, it's sort of based on, it's a fictionalized version of this true story of uh, from the 1800s, these two ships that got stuck up in Antarctica trying to find a Northwest Passage um, as you know, the colonialists uh, tried to do. And um, there's some fantastical sort of elements added to it. I will not spoil it for you. I know I'm king spoiler, but um, it's a 10, I think a 10 part series. And it's just, it's just, I mean, just for the acting, you know, it's all these British actors, of course, and they're all amazing. Like literally like every single one, like, you know, all from the captains to the, you know, it's that whole upstairs, downstairs, British cast system thing and it's just I I I can't recommend it um highly enough. So just just watch it and maybe I'll do a whole podcast on that if there's anyone out there who uh who wants to talk about the terror. Um it is scary, but it's 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 actually just a good piece of writing about you know what happens to humans when they're stripped to their uh to their the bear, not literally stripped, um, but you know, actually, that does happen. Um, it's kind of a you know, not for kids movie, but it's 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 not salacious. It's just it's really raw. It's about what happens when basically people start starving to death and uh, going mad. Fun times. <laughs> uh, all right, so here comes here comes my interview with uh, Mr. Rovner. Mr. Baba, talking about Quentin Tarantino's nine films. We we touch on all of them. We don't go too in-depth on anything, but it's kind of just a random talk. But um, it's really fun, and these guys have a lot of insights. So uh, enjoy.
Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Mr. Movie Club. My name is Barney Barn Barn, and this is our second try at uh, at uh, today's episode, um, which is going to be a fun one. We had a little technical difficulty, but we are rocking and rolling now. And I am here with my friend, Mike Rovner. Say hi again, Mike. Hey, everybody. And Mike's buddy, uh, Mark Baba. Say hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. And today we are having a bromance um, a, a bro threesome, uh, where we just talk a about a, bro, a brosome. Copyright. I'm copywriting that. Um, and we are going to be talking about all things Tarantino. The first thing I'm going to say at the beginning is we're going to talk about all his films, at least a little bit, I think, because I think we've between the three of us, we've seen them all. And we're going to be talking about spoilers. So if you don't want to hear about some of Quentin's twists and turns, you may want to log off and... Go ahead to watch his films. Um, but let's let's start off here. Here's what I was thinking. Is when we go around, we can all sort of – I'll start with you, Mike, since this was your idea, Mr. Rovner, um, and talk about like how you got – you were telling me yesterday about how you first heard about um, yeah. uh, Quentin and how you became a fan. Yeah. I mean, it's actually – that's why Mark's with us today is because if it wasn't for my good friend Mark Baba here, who we went to college together in Iowa, and um, – I mean, it was, let's see, like, uh, well, uh, True Romance and Reservoir Dogs was 92, 93 or something like that, 93, 94, something like that. So we were at school, and we were at a Blockbuster, and I think Mark Grant picked up Reservoir Dogs, and he's like, have you seen this? And I said, no, I don't, I've never even heard of it. And he's like, you guys fucked up. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember what Blockbuster is, but that was a great video rental store. Nonetheless, <laughs> I do recall that, and the dogs was legendary from the first scene. So anyway, jump back in, Mike. It is. And, um, you know, I think Mark was watching me watch it with glee, you know, because I experienced what he experienced, what everybody, anybody who's a movie fan um, experience was you can do this. Like you can dialogue can sound like this. You know, criminals don't talk <laughs> about crime. They're talking about Madonna. And Mr. You Pink. know, like. Yeah. And by the way, Quentin Tarantino, the balls on this fucking kid. It's the first movie he writes and directs, and he opens with himself. <laughs> he, he unapologetically planted his flag, and he was making a statement. Harvey sit back, Michael Mann, all you boys sit back. This is my show. Watch it. You know, he's an okay actor, but he's doing his own thing, right? So it's perfect. Because he's he's creating tone. He's setting that. You're right, Mark. He's he's he put a he planted a flag and said, "Look out, world! Tarantino's here." You know. Is he is he in every one of his films? Does he do like the hitch? Is he does he have a small part in every one of his films, or is it just like a one? I mean, we'd have to really look at that. Yeah. But uh, you know, he's in Pulp Fiction, of course. He was in Django. I'm, I was just watching the scene where he's the Australian guy in Django, and he's actually not bad in that. But he's he's not great. But he's not bad. In Death Proof, he's the bartender. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, he's he's a, he's a psychopathic Woody Allen. He just yeah. he basically just takes any scene you want and puts in any dialogue you want and can put it in any situation you want. And the people who are in it are just spot on cool because they have the best dialogue for it. Whether it's the Flintstones versus the Honeymooners versus the Rats in the Wall, he can just take any situation and put it into another situation. And it's seamless. And I have a thousand insights into that. But I just think he's brilliant. And the way that he allowed us to watch movies was truly turning it into a new level of art. It was the blending of poetry and film and id all at once. So 
Yeah, well, here, Mark, why don't you tell, since Mike kind of told his origin story. So you, Mark, you turned Mike on to uh, Tarantino. How did you find out about it? Was it like an older brother or a friend who turned you on to it? Or did you see it in the theaters? What was your what was your in? It's a good question. Mike and I were actually, uh, we, we, we chatted about five minutes about this. We didn't want to lose any of the rawness and the realness. But it was in college. Mike's older than me. He was He left the year before I did. And it was my senior year, and I had a new group of guys that I was kind of hanging out with, and we were all we were going to one of these house parties, and there were all these really hot women there. And I'm like, okay, good, I'm going to do what guys do when they get to college. So we were at this party, and we were drinking, and all of a sudden somebody just threw in this movie. Nobody had heard of it. It was a it was a, what do you call those? A bootleg copy of this movie called Reservoir Dogs. Is and it within, a DVD or VHS? No, it was VHS. It was old school. It was Real a old big, school, yeah. deep. TV. It was like an old Sony Trinitron. Right. And um, the movie started and the party stopped and we were just staring at it. And for the first time in my life in college, I wasn't thinking about how am I going to go meet the girl over there? It was, I'm going to be so focused on this movie that nothing else matters. And it was just fantastic. And, and Mike and I always talked film because we were Godfather fans. So of course, Coppola and Scorsese, and we talked about lighting and what Spike Lee was able to do. And it was, our conversations were insane, but Tarantino just, he just changed the game. He changed yeah. the And play Euchre. I don't know if you know the game Euchre, right? We'd play Euchre with our, uh, like a couple of uh, suite mates, you know, guys in the other room, um, all night long with Goodfellas on in the background. <laughs> We just keep playing it over and over and over again. Nonstop. It was just a perfect, perfect movie. And we could actually take in that uh, that Goodfellas uh, DVD cover the first time that uh, <laughs> we played We played with the Magic Mushrooms. And all of a sudden, I was having a conversation with the Goodfellas VHS tape. And De Niro was looking at me going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Speaking of which, you do a great De Niro, but it's more visual. <laughs> wait, wait. But you, you weren't on Mushrooms when you saw Reservoir Dogs. No, 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 no. That would that I can't imagine watching like any Tarantino film the first time like high because that would just uh, that would be um, I'm sure many people have. Um, but wait, so Mark at this party where you someone threw in Reservoir Dogs, you had never heard of it. Like, so did everyone at the party watch it? Was it like off in the side room? Or, like, it, was it like just a thing that you had with it? Where like everybody was like really? No, it was like when I say party, it was probably a dozen people hanging out, drinking, listening to music. And then one of the guys probably got it from an older brother, somebody at another university or someone who was out in the real world. Right. And by the time that we were five minutes in, it was like, shut up, everybody shut up. You got to check this out. This is unbelievable. And it just came to a standstill. And it was like being in high school again. We were all rolled up in blankets watching this movie with our jaws open. And it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience and one that I was thrilled to be able to introduce Mike to. So, no, it was it was just a, it was an unbelievable movie. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think I think everybody remembers everyone who's old enough to remember, and you know, probably even the younger generations. If if Reservoir Dogs is the first film you see by Tarantino, and I think it, it's funny, you know, he's doing this like I'm doing ten films, and I do think there's a, a case to be made that it's good to watch his films in sequence. I'm probably a little older than you guys, even though uh, I don't have quite as uh, much gray as I should at this age. Uh, uh, sponsored by Hair Club for Men, no, um, but but here I'll quickly tell my origin story. It's like. So I grew up in New York, and I was a film nerd. And like you guys, I liked Coppola, I liked Scorsese. I was actually really a huge Kubert fan. And um, when I was a kid, we had a VHS of, um, uh, uh, not Dr. Strange, what's the other one? Clockwork Orange. And uh, we, have, me and my friend Griff, who was, uh, whose dad was like a film uh, film buff too, like we had a VHS. We were like the first kids on our block with like 
our own VHS. We invited some girls over to watch Clockwork Orange, and we learned very quickly not a good dating movie. Yeah, but um, kind of like but, taking her to see a double feature with the accused. Just not oh your God. right, not the right pace. <laughs> I bring up Clockwork Orange for a reason. So when Reservoir Dogs came out, like I, I, I was, I think I was a, a teenager. I may have been like eighteen, nineteen. I wasn't a kid, kid. But um, anyway, ninety-two. Yeah, so I was like seventeen, eighteen. I remember going to see it, and like I, like you guys, like I was just blown away. I was like, "This is something totally different." But you know, it was here in New York, so it was at it. People forget it was an, an art house film. It was not like a major. It wasn't at the multiplex. And um, I remember like, "Oh, this is kind of Scorsese," but like it's really different. Like you know, the whole like you were saying, um, Mike. I can't remember if it's in the new recording or the uh, the old recording, but Mike was telling me before we started about how like it, it, it's like it can be. And you were saying this too, Mark, about he can throw anything in there. It's like, well, it's a crime film, but they're they're talking about, you know, like, oh, no, I don't, I don't mind Miss, Mr. Pink, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, well, this really is, feels like Kobola, feels like Scorsese, but it's, it's, and you could tell he was inspired by that. And obviously he was also inspired by a lot of cheesy films, which I actually hadn't seen. I wasn't into those spaghetti westerns and stuff, and I've seen oh, them since. Perfect. But, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It just kind of, kind of blew me away. But, what what happened to me is and is I went away from Tarantino. I, I love that. I love Pulp Fiction, and then as I got older and I started a family, like all those kind of violent films, Clockwork Orange and the Tarantino stuff. Like suddenly I was I was like ah violence. I don't know if you had this, Mike, but like I kind of got away from violence and I've kind of gotten back into his films recently. And to to the point where Jackie Brown was the only one in his of his that I hadn't seen, and I'm like, there's not enough fucking violence in it. This is Tarantino. Like only two people get shot. Like where is the blood? You know? Yeah. I, what's amazing about him too is you know I don't think there's any other dialogue writer like him. Maybe Mamet. Right, like he right. gets compared to men. Yeah. Would also just have scenes of people talking like they do. Right. Yep. I don't do for a living. Everybody has conversations about songs they like and interpretations. Doesn't matter. Like that's life. And it also tells you who these characters are. It builds out these characters beautifully. Right. When Jules and uh, and Vincent Vega are talking about Royale with cheese, that's how you meet these two guys. And you're like, I know who they are. I totally know who they are. Right. Unlike a cop show where they're just talking about the crime. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it's almost like a Seinfeld thing about it. It's like, it's like a lot of the scenes, and I was just watching Pulp Fiction, and like, there's the whole thing when he's out with Uma Thurman and they're flirting, and she's talking about like those awkward silences. Like, that's one of the things. I mean, he's a great writer, and the dialogue's great. And like, they're talking, when they talk about small things like Mr. Pink or Royale with Cheese, but there's also, he puts those awkward silences in there that like a lot of filmmakers don't. Like, you know, like Kubrick will have silence, but it's like it's part of the scene. His silences are just between the people. You know what I mean? He, he lingers a lot. He lingers, things, yeah, right? yeah. It's like he's just got Uma dancing to music, waiting, you know, waiting for Vincent to come out of the bathroom. You're like, what's going on? Nothing. Nothing's happening. You know, but what? It's okay. Um, I was going to say Seinfeld. I, I just read something that Seinfeld definitely noticed when he saw Reservoir Dogs. He he and Larry went to see it. Larry David went to see it. And Larry turns to him, he's like, they're doing our stuff. <laughs> oh, sorry, it was Pulp Fiction. It must have been Pulp Fiction. Well, yeah, if you think about it, yeah, like like Tarantino is kind of, it's, uh, he's like, well, Mark was saying like Woody Allen. Uh, he's like Woody Allen and Seinfeld and who, wait, someone else was saying something else. And uh, well, he's like, he's like Woody Allen and Seinfeld with guns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like with, with, uh, with violence. Um, but um but like, well, let me tell you guys, as college students, and you guys can both answer this one at a time. What do you think? Like from like, uh, Mike, you know, you're a writer now. You're a, by the way, if I didn't 
introduce Mike Rovner is a, uh, a creative director, freelance creative director extraordinaire. Was it was it the visceralness of the of the action, or was it the was it the great script that like pulls you in? Because and it's also just a good damn filmmaker, you know. I mean, there's stories that you never thought of before. I mean, just like any good story, right? It's like I never saw any of that coming. Um, it's all of it. The dialogue, certainly, right? But moments that happen, I mean, think about true romance when they find themselves in that hotel room, you know? And it's like the convergence of cops, the the mob guys, you know, uh, Christian Slater and Alabama, you know, they're all in there, and then all of a sudden, guns are pointed at everybody, and you know what the hell's going to happen, and everybody gets shot. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like, you never thought that would happen in a movie. Ever. And he just keeps doing it. And by the way, like watching Django recently, or at least that scene where um, he's escaping Candyland is like, ah, you that's, know, that's my favorite scene in that movie. That's amazing. Perform. He really has. Yeah. He's turned the violence into something where you find yourself laughing. It's so over the top that it's funny. Well, well that's what I was going to say. So I said, like, you know, I, I kind of got into him when I was younger. Then I was like, ah, oh, it's too violent. It's, it's gratuitous. Uh, and like Grindhouse, which I want you to talk about, Mike, because you just saw it. Um, yeah. I, I was working with the director and we were both talking about it. it was like, oh, it's just over the top, you know, that specifically that scene you were talking about in the car. And, and you know, we like, I remember this is like 10 years ago, both of us saying, yeah, it's, it's over the top. Tarantino's gone too far. But here's the thing since I became a fan again with um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, and now um, his latest one, uh, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, and it, it when I started liking his films again, I was like, oh, is this bad that I'm liking all this violence? And it dawned on me, especially in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, spoiler, I'm going to talk about the ending. When, when Brad Pitt finally takes, you know, the, the fucking hippie people, and he's like slamming. You know, there's all these accusations of misogyny, whatever. I, I don't I'm not even going to go there because to me, it, it, suddenly that scene, it, it brought the whole thing full circle for me. I'm like, oh, first of all, all his violence in his films, it's cartoonish. It's it's a lot less real than like even like Clockwork Orange or or even like Scorsese stuff you know when uh, you know in, in Taxi Driver it's not like that it's not realistic it, and and you were just talking about the Django shoot up scene I was just watching that the other day <laughs> just the fact that they're shooting at each other and one guy is injured and they keep missing <laughs> the other guy it's it's fucking comedy and it's it's like it's like a he's giving in to that fifteen year old that we all had where you just you're like a fucking superhero and you're like, I'm gonna destroy my enemies, you know, like and every time there's a scene like that, that's what it feels like, you know. And in a way that's kind of what I thought Jackie Brown was lacking. But but when you realize like and the way he shifts gears and like in uh, in Kill Bill, I thought he did this brilliantly. And I only got into Kill Bill a couple of years ago. I missed it when it came out. The way it's like it can be, you know, sword fights and like that crazy scene in the restaurant. And then, like, again, spoiler alert, she finds her daughter. And it's like this real scene. And the way, like, I don't know any other filmmaker that shifts gears, that shifts gears the way he does. Like, he can do a real serious scene, really great dialogue. Like you were saying, it's almost like Mammoth. And then it's, a, and then it's like a, a cartoon. And Kill Bill is sometimes literally a cartoon, you know. So, Barney, you mentioned that you just saw Kill Bill recently. Not recently. Um, I actually have it on Blu-ray, I, but I got into it. I didn't see it when it came out. I got into it. I first saw it like two years ago. I haven't seen it recently. but I'm um, disappointed that it took you so long, considering the fact that... Um, I don't, that's, some people, that's their favorites, you know. But The listeners out there, however many of you are. Um, Twelve. My mom and three friends. Uh, Barney and I actually worked together on a commercial once out in California in the desert. and um, Oh, right. Uh, we staged the shoot, meaning yeah. all like, you know, the crew and everything had to park and whatever. We staged it right across from the church. Yes. Bill Bill. Um, 
and we knew it was the church of Kill Bill. Everyone was taking pictures of it and everything. Years later, by the way, I went back there. It was only two years ago shooting a Subway commercial. Same desert, right? And I was like, this feels really familiar. And I look it up, and sure enough, the church was like three blocks away. So we drove over there. Now they have it completely roped off because they realize people are going and taking pictures in front of it and stuff. I'm like, wow. Why? Why not let people take pictures in front of it? Well, you know, it, it's it's probably whatever. Like, it, it, it's interesting because, wait, when did we – we shot that thing in like 2009, 2010, and Kill Bill came out like 2005. So you're saying – because when we saw it – and I don't know if I admitted this to you, but you were like, oh, it's the church from Kill Bill. And I was like, I, maybe I, I lied to you, but I, I don't think I had seen it yet. Because I remember when I finally saw Kill Bill and the church came out, I was like, oh, that's the church. You know, and I remember, I think I even stopped and like called up uh, like some photos I had I was like, to, to make sure I was right. But so what you're saying is that it wasn't roped off and then it became roped off because there were too many tourists coming by or something. I don't know when that happened, but when we were there, we had complete access. You could walk right up and shoot pictures right through the windows. In fact, they said it's available for shoots. Remember they had the signs on it? Like, of course it is, right? Yeah. Um, now, I think... Whoever owns it decided they didn't like people trespassing as much. I don't know why. Uh, and they put police tape around. It. Do not cross. Maybe some kids. I have a picture of one of my... Symbolic of the bride that was shot up inside. Maybe that was part of the, the cachet of it. You guys were talking about with Tarantino and, and, and how it, it tied into Seinfeld and how Seinfeld really responded to it. Because it is, it's those short snippets where you can see it out of order. And in every one of those movies... Every one of those scenes is a standalone scene. I was actually thinking about what is it? And, and what Tarantino is, is he's the guy who's thought through every scenario. And when you put it on film, no matter the situation, the character you like, the flawed hero, the evil protagonist, has the absolute perfect line in that moment. And George Costanza in Seinfeld had that whole thing with the guy who – he was eating all the shrimp and he said, Hey, George, the ocean called, you're running out of shrimp. And then he was all mad. He went back and he figured out his line. The guy did it again. The ocean called, you're running out of shrimp. He goes, the jerk store called, they're running out of you. And he goes, you're their number one customer. Now, if Tarantino had that scene, <laughs> Costanza would have pulled out a gun, shot the guy in the face, scooped out his eyeball, dipped it in the cocktail sauce, yeah. ate it, said, a little salty. Like that's the sort of stuff that could go on. And what he does is he just pushes it. Just pushes it. And we were talking about, you know, some of his great movies and true romance. And I mean, if you're going to get into true romance, it has to be about the Morse. It has to be about the great Christopher Walken and the great Dennis Hopper having that conversation, which again ties back to Seinfeld in a Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz sort of way, in that half the audience wouldn't understand moops versus Moors without the backstory of the Moors in true romance. It all ties together in a perfect world, and that's just me bringing my own little perspective to it. I, I, well, that's interesting. I didn't watch it, but I was looking at YouTube's trying to catch up, like get little scenes of, of the films that I hadn't seen recently, and there was one that was like, all Tarantino's films are in the same world, and it was like a video, and it was, but it was like half an hour. I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. I will be up all night. You can, you can name it now. It's the QTU. Right? It's the Quentin Tarantino universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 <laughs> well, he's yeah, like influenced Marvel. by Marvel, so that makes sense. It's true. And, you know, like, look at the typeface, right? He, he's, it's like, like Woody Allen. He always uses credits. You know, they're always the same. They're always simple. They always got that, like, little serify weird typeface. Um, and uh, what was I going to say? Well, I, yeah, well, I don't know. But now that you've forgotten, I'm going to cut in that because I was just watching Pulp Fiction. And I noticed the type. I don't know what the typeface for the actual Pulp Fiction logo was. It was that, that kind of. That 70s. All his typefaces are 70s. But, you know, what's interesting that the, 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 the 
Pulp Fiction, like an old film, like all all the the stars' names came up first, you know, and it was like zooming back, and I was like, where have I seen that font before? It's the Stranger Things font. It's that Stranger Thing has that sort of late seventies, early eighties font. My band had a poster with that font in the fucking eighties, and it's like that's like your classic retro font. I don't know what it is. So if you want to talk about the universe a little bit more, what I noticed in watching, you know, watching these so recently and back to back, that which which ones did you watch back to back? Uh, most of the, like, you know, uh, in the past few days, True Romance, um, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, right? So, like, the early ones, and then Death, uh, Death Proof, which I hadn't seen. Um, but earlier this year, I watched the others, just so happened to, right? I was just kind of chewing through them through the pandemic, um, as one does. Um, but I noticed in Pulp Fiction, just a random line of dialogue, uh, I'm sorry, was it Pulp Fiction? Either way, either way, they mention Alabama. How's Alabama doing? Oh, it's to Harvey Keitel. How's Alabama? He's like, oh, yeah, she's good, but I, you know, that, that man-woman thing doesn't work out. I'm like, holy shit, Alabama's from True Romance. Oh, uh, I see. You're like, is that Joe from Reservoir Dogs that he's talking to in Pulp Fiction? You know? So you know that Quentin uses a lot of the same names and everything, and then you go, okay, Vincent Vega must be Vic Vega's brother, right? They're both the Vega brothers. Then, then you go, why isn't there a Vega Brothers movie? <laughs> You know, we got to be a Vega Brothers movie. That would be amazing because of the backstory that goes through with what's the name of the car lot where they take the cars uh, at the end of Joe. Joe. So it's Joe something. It was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but uh, Kytel is in Reservoir Dogs and he's in, um, and he's in Pulp Fiction. He's not, those characters aren't the same name, are they? What's that? Those characters aren't the same name. The Kytel in those two movies? No, Larry. He's Larry in Reservoir Dogs, Mr. Whatever. What is he, Mr. White? Vince, Vincent Fox, the wolf. Wasn't he Vincent? It's, uh, it's not Vincent. It's uh, Winston? Winston. Winston or something? Yeah, the wolf. He was the cleaner, which was the a cleaner. character that was stolen That's from La Femme Nikita or something like that. But he was more of a robotic cleaner. He, came, he went into the scene, cleaned up the in a murdering sort of a way. What's so funny about him is, is they called him early in the morning. Like, I don't even think they had their morning coffee yet. And you remember he was in a tuxedo. Yes. Yes. And and I I haven't seen that recently, but yeah, that I I didn't get to that scene yet, but I remember that scene. So viscerally where he's talking, yeah, you got some blood on the glass and all that stuff, right? That's the scene you're talking about in pop. a break, right? There's a family event going on in another room, and he was like in the bedroom on the phone. <laughs> yeah, in a tuxedo. And it was like this big party. It was like a southern, like, you know, Kentucky Derby party going on at 8 a.m. And he, he's like, how far away? He's like, a half hour. He's like, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Like, everything about him was bad. Say, I'll be there in 10. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that's another thing that that that, um, that Tarantino's writing does. Like, I, I, I in another life, I was trying to be a songwriter, and I took a songwriting class uh, with uh, Roseanne Cash of all people. And she said, every time you write a song, you have to put some furniture in it. It can't just be about your feelings or about whatever. And like, that's kind of what Tarantino does. Like, like, and, and you know, the, the Sopranos and stuff later, and maybe Seinfeld, although maybe Seinfeld came first. It, oh, that type, that type of writing. Mike, tell me if I'm right about this. It's like. It's like it puts, you know, it, it puts reality in when people talk about chewing gum or, or you know, or they're coming from a part like there's, yeah, they're criminals, but they still got to fucking eat and, you know, yeah, and talk about shit. They go to movies and they fart and they <laughs> go to the bathroom and shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's much more interesting to be a fly in the wall of criminals who are yeah. human 
right? Like, you know, they're bad, bad people that do bad, bad things, but you fall in love with them. Like, who doesn't love Jules? The character Jules is like one of the best characters he created. The guy's a murderer, man. And he, he loves to torture his victims right before he murders them. He's like, I'm going to eat your burger, drink all your Sprite, yeah. and stare you in the eye while I drink your Sprite. Then I'm going to recite some fucking yeah. biblical shit at you before I murder you. Well, I, I'll, say, I'll tell you right there, I think that's one thing that makes both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and a lot of his other films better than Jackie Brown. Pam Greer is great. She has a great look. And I, f- I forget the name of the guy. And, and uh, Samuel L. Jackson's in that, kind of doing his thing. He's great. But um, And, and uh, De Niro, you were talking about De Niro and Jackie Brown. He's great. He's great. He's kind of doing it's kind of He's almost from a different world. He's not like a Tarantino-type character. But who's the, the, main, the main two characters? I thought... The casting wasn't fucking great. They're just, they don't, the, the whole cast in Pulp Fiction, everybody is just so spot on. Like, it's reading the lines, but it's also like the, the fucking way they read it. It's just perfect, you know. How about, how about Quentin Tarantino making it believable, right, that Butch runs into Bing Rames, that runs into Marcellus Wallace. And like, they look at each other, Marcellus is like, you gotta be fucking, I mean, you're like, what? And you, you go, okay. But it was plausible. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't remember as I was rewatching it. I couldn't remember. I know they end up with the gimp, right? But I couldn't remember how the two of them. Don't, 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 don't spoil it because I'm halfway through it. All right. Well, I guess I, I sit there and I say we're a spoiling podcast and I say you can't spoil it to me. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. So, yes, I'll, so I'll remember when you tell me. So he's just randomly walking through a crosswalk. Oh, right, right, right. And he looks at the car, and he's like, holy shit, it's Butch. And Butch is like, holy shit. That's, I think he literally says that. Motherfucker. And then he hits him, rolls over, and it's the whole brawl in the middle of the street, chasing each other, filled with blood. But the Tarantino movie, you have to have those unexpected scenes that end up being totally sadistic. Because you got to remember, that wasn't the worst thing that happened to him that day. You know, he ended up in the basement. I mean, that was just... Wait, the, the line I remember is, is I got to get medieval on your ass. Like, I still haven't seen that part of it in 10 years. But, like... Now, who is that? That's that's Reams talking to... He's like, are you hearing me, you redneck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hillbilly killer? Yeah, that was Zed and his brother. And then the camp. But what you guys are talking about is, is also... doesn't he, I feel like he has a lot of coincidences like that in his films. And, like... I mean, he, he to get to the extreme part, like I feel he does kind of stuff like that writers wouldn't do. They would go, "Oh, that's ridiculous for them to bump into each other." Tar- Tarantino's like, "Well, what the fuck? It's a movie. Let's have let's have a fucking coincidence, you know?" Like and like in in Hollywood, like happened to go to the wrong house so that Brad and Brad Pitt happens to be high and happens to be excellent at kicking people's asses. But it's like, so what? You know, it fucking makes the scene. You know. Speaking of Brad Pitt and houses, you know, his first performance in a Tarantino movie was one of his best, other than obviously the Oscar winning one. But Stoner. right, the Stoner. And in fact, one of the funniest lines he utters is when the, the the guys leave, like the mafia guys leave, and he goes, "Condescend me, I'll fucking kill you, man." Wait a minute, is it, you guys are losing me. Is that Pulp Fiction? That's in uh, True Romance. Oh, uh, okay. See, I, you guys talk about True Romance like it's one of his, even though I know he didn't direct it. But like, I gotta say, I haven't seen that. In, I saw it, but it's he been wrote a long, it. Long time. He opted it in order to make Reservoir Dogs. It's funny because it came out after, came out after Reservoir Dogs, right? But it before and he wanted to direct it but he couldn't direct both right like they, i guess the, the 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 money people weren't going to allow him, whatever it was he had to choose and he was like okay i'm going to direct reservoir dogs and i'll give up the directing to whoever they want to direct true romance and it was uh what's his face it was fucking uh, uh, really scott's tony brother scott. Uh, yeah tony, tony scott. scott yeah tony- his uh brother hey hey let's do a round rob again let's 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 reset um let let why don't we go around and talk about 
what your favorite Tarantino film is. And I guess we'll, we'll add, it can be one he wrote too. And it's, I, I didn't even know he wrote Sin City. I saw that on some YouTube last night. But for me, I'm just going to use the nine, ten, if Kill Bill is considered two um, films. But um, uh, Mark, you want to go first? What What is your favorite film of his and why? It's tough. I mean, to, to me, as a guy who loves Star Wars, it's easy for me to go to Star Wars and then be arguing argumentative about Empire Strikes Back, right? You always go back to the original. Dogs. Dogs is a movie, period. Yeah. It's raw. It's everything. And in my opinion, what, what the dogs did for Tarantino is it set the tone for exactly what he was going to do as a filmmaker. And if you've seen it or you remember the scene, it's when Tim Roth's character is on the roof of the building with the experienced undercover detective who explains to him what the commode story is. And he had to establish a story that was real. And he was talking about, do we, you know, we need to know if it was a tissue paper, toilet paper, the stuff that came off the roll. If this ball was, was splattered and shit, it was the commode story. And it was the detail. The details were the story. And then actually the story got in the way of the details. And that was the convergence of what a Tarantino film is. We're able to be on the walls. We're watching all this shit. But the important stuff that's going on is the stuff that no one is paying attention it, it, to is, is the small stuff. I, I, I think there's a lot of filmmakers who are like that, but Tarantino was one of the best. Like I think the Coen brothers kind of do that pretty well too. Well, you know, it's that same thing. It's like where this, the plot is the scaffolding for all the other stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, that's the a good analogy. Coen brothers kind of do the similar thing with the character well, creation, you know, like I mean, it's much more cartoonish, right? It's much more, um, you know, just thinking of Fargo in, in particular, you know, you get some of that dialogue, you get some of that fun stuff where, you know, Frances McDormand is on the phone talking to the police department, and she's like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm in town for a little bit, and uh, oh, yeah. is there eat around here? Oh, yeah, is it reasonable? You know, it's like lingering on that piece of dialogue is really important, even though it seems like, what, what the fuck are we watching? But, but, but here's the difference. In Fargo, like, when she finds him, and says, like, oh, that's your friend in the woodchopper there, right? Like, the Tarantino version would be, you'd, there'd be, like, a five-minute scene of him being stuffed into the wood chipper. Like, you it would, it wouldn't just stumble on that shit. You Explaining, would, uh, what, like, how difficult it is to get bone yeah. to actually <laughs> right. break up. Like, you got to push it a little hard. You know. um, yeah, but you got to use the 304 blades. Like, it would be a whole, he would, like, go into the, the, the details about, about which wood chippers are the best or something. But, um, so I was going to say dogs, too, but I'm going to do a different one just because Mark did it. And he's right. You know, I think that uh, watching it again today, like, it's everything that he has been doing since is in there. You know, it's all in there. And you can see his future laid out and by the way it's just fucking cool like the minute that he goes into the slow motion right and you hear the music i mean his his musical taste is as outstanding uh, you can do a whole podcast on his music yeah. he teaches us right yep. like i can't believe how many really good old rock songs there are soul, never- soul songs yeah yeah it's amazing I, I will never hear stuck in the middle with you again without uh, thinking about michael madsen dancing around that that's that's my first memory of watching it in the theater, and he's saying. I remember going, "Oh, this is different." That was the scene when he's singing in the ear. I'm like, "What the fuck am I watching here?" This is like, and I was a fan of like you know Clock Records, which was bizarre. I was like, "This is so crazy." Sorry. What he sorry. says to the cop, he's like, as he's pulling the duct tape open, he's like, "Look, I've heard it all before, and by the way, I'm not going to like." He's like, "No matter what you say or do, it's not going to help because I'm actually." going to torture you for my own enjoyment yeah you know it's like i I don't care if you know or don't know anything i don't care 
I don't care what you say. I'm just doing this for fun. Yeah. And then you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Jimmy Serrano. I mean, just to, just to do a quick sidestep, Jimmy Serrano and Midnight Run. I'm here to tell you three things tonight. Number one, you're going to die tonight. Number two, I'm going to go home and have a nice hot meal. Number three, I'm going to find your wife. I'm going to kill her too. Like it was just unapologetic. I am going to just mind fuck you. And yeah. there's nothing you can do or say about it. And that was what Tarantino did. Clever about torturing his victims before they get killed, right? It's like between that scene and then you think of Jules, what I just said about him in Pulp Fiction, right? You're like, man. And uh, the, the end of Django, I just saw that you know, uh, after the gunfight scene when um, right. when uh, he's upside down and, he's, and what's his name? He's like, I'm going to snip your – yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's – well, like, like I don't think Tarantino's a sociopath, but he definitely – he gets he gets enjoyment. I mean, look, we're all humans. We all have different sides, right? He definitely gets enjoyment on, like I was saying before, like on being so violent and so torturous that it it it's 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 almost like a it's like it, it's like it's like you've had a lobotomy in your just lizard brain. And yeah, and so, well, so so your so your your favorite is which one? Yeah, I haven't gone there yet. Oh, sorry, I'll, I cut you off. Go go on, buddy. I'll shut up. You know, without him doing the violence the way he did it, you know, you wouldn't have the boys on, you know, right now, which is killing it on Prime, right? I mean, they make heads explode left and right. I mean, their violence is over the top ridiculous. And if it wasn't for kind of, you know, Tarantino making it funny in a way, you know, shockingly funny, where it wasn't meant to be gut-wrenching, right? Even though it's wildly violent, you're not meant to go, oh, and shudder at it. You're meant to go, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Surprised face. Sorry, that's my phone ringing. You can edit that out, right? Uh, <laughs> let's see. It depends on the budget. But Hold on. Try. I will mute myself while you guys talk for a sec. Oh, is he taking that? Yeah, it sure sounds like it. But I think that he's building on something with Pulp Fiction. You know, the, the, what he was able to do with Pulp Fiction, then it led to Kill Bill. And Kill Bill took it to a new level of violence where when somebody's arm got cut off, it was just spraying yeah. you know, like, like, like a fire extinguisher. And it was hilarious. Or somebody gets the top of their head. It was – he did for violence what John Waters did for bad movies. It was just yeah, so yeah. over the top yeah. and campy. And you came to expect it, which is why – and I'm just killing time while Mike is now back. I actually think he left a lot on the table with Once Upon a Time. I thought that Once Upon a Time was – censored for today's environment because normally he's an equal opportunity it's not that he's sexist or that he's into the torture of women he'll have a guy kick the shit out of a woman as easily as he'll have a woman kick the shit out of a guy and in yeah. upon a time in hollywood i feel like he left some of that darkness well well there's there's definitely less a lot less n-word <laughs> like i don't i don't know if anyone says that in um maybe charles manson does at some point it flows, it flows freely in his early movies oh and, my you know, god yeah. Grew up with nothing but black people, and, and like Samuel Jackson often says, he's like, "No, nah, he cool." That, that's, <laughs> that's that's it's a, it's it's a whole other conversation. Probably not for us three white guys to talk about. But like one of the things about Jackie Brown was what I think he was trying to do. Like the the, the script. It's funny. I wish I had read it as script instead of seen it as a movie because the script is all about. It's kind of all about how you know poor people, but like in this case, black people get stuck in a, in a you know the whole her the main characters. I don't know if you guys remember that movie that well, but like. She, she she's kind of helping this guy smuggle a bit, but like she's getting stuck between. And so the whole plot is she's fucking over the cops and she's fucking over or or Dell, which is the Samuel L. Jackson character. So and those plot structures he sets up are great, and and I think he always has empathy for um, 
you know, what, what the kids would call marginalized people, whether it's women or people of color or whatever. So the, this, I, I think a lot of people take his stuff out of context and don't realize, like, like the people who are, are, you know, quote unquote, go bad, it's usually for cause. And like, it's it, the revenge fan, he, he, he does revenge so much better than anybody else. Oh, but, yeah. but Mike, let's get back to your favorite. So you were building up to, and, and while you were gone, Mark and I guessed that it was Pulp Fiction, but tell us if we were right. No, I, you know, I, that would be a standard answer as well, like Reservoir Dogs. But I think that like they kind of lumped together in my mind of his early works that made him like who he is. But I think he's been crushing it lately. I mean, fucking crushing it. Like, it, from Inglorious Bastards on, you're just like, holy shit. And I think he's becoming a bigger filmmaker. He has, he can make his own decisions now. He's got the money. He can produce, you know, he can get anything done now. And you're seeing it. And, you know, that's why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably looks like an Oscar movie because that's what he's doing now. You know what I mean? Like, he won an Oscar very early in his career for writing and all that stuff, and he gets snubbed here and there. But he's really now making films that aren't the indie house films anymore because he didn't have to. You know, he can have whoever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And the budgets are great. And, you know, um, so I was going to go with uh, Hateful Eight um, as my recent favorite. You know, uh, I couldn't stop looking at that movie. Yeah. And I, I know it's a weird thing to say, but it was just it was a beautiful, it's beautifully play. shot. Beautiful. Yeah, it was beautifully shot. But it was a play. Right. Yeah. It was like you could perform that on a stage. You could do that whole fucking movie. On, on Broadway, I, I'm, I'm going to call it now. Lin Manuel Miranda should do a musical, musical, <laughs> a where like in the front row, it's like it's like Gallagher. You get splattered with blood when the killing starts. You have to like bring you have to bring a sheet. You yeah, know. like a blue man group. Get the tarp. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's, blue, it's a red man group. <laughs> that was a, like a perfect movie. There are a few, few perfect movies out there, right? Like Unforgiven, and they tend to be westerns. Um, it was perfect. It was just, you know, again, he surprised us. You didn't know it was coming. You didn't know who was who, you know? And uh, when, when the road came out from under you, you're like, holy shit, you know? Like, wow, she knows them. Um, not to spoil it for you. No, that's uh, not, we're, we're into spoilers. I mean, sorry, you, you done, Mark? Mike? No, I was going to say one more thing yeah, about the go, violence. Go. Is that I was listening to Tarantino talk about how he gets away with these things and still keeps his R ratings and not getting X ratings, you know? Because he was really inventing this, you know, violence on the screen in ways we've never seen before. And as it turns out, it's the color of blood. If it's too realistic and red, you make it look a little orange or it doesn't look exactly like blood. They're like, that's cool. That's one trick he had, right? He, he other, actually said that in an interview? Like, that's like his thing? He didn't say that part. I, I read about that. But it, okay. he, um, what he said was that, so for Kill Bill, he had to show, you know, the, uh, what is it, the... Um, what are they called, Barney, who gives you the ratings? The AMPA, whatever? The, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's working with this woman at the MPAA for years, and you know she's like, look, the Kill Bill stuff's pretty violent, but you just cut down this scene, cut this one thing out, you know, and I can get you your R. And he's like, great, okay. And he does it. But then the head of the MPAA, who hates his movies and hates the violence and wants to end violence in movies, he's like, let me see this new thing he's doing. <laughs> you know? And he's like, no fucking way. And she's like, uh, then I resigned because I told him that it would be okay. So I'm going to resign. He's like, all right. Wow. All right. I didn't hear that. So right. And he out the eye, dropped it, and stepped on it. It squished between the tubs. Like, unbelievable <laughs> scene. How do you get that through? <laughs> and that, and still, that scene's still in there, right? His plan, yeah. His plan was he 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 shot way more than he thought he would ever get away with on purpose to show them way over the top. And he had a plan. He was like, "Hey, cut out sixty percent of this. I'll still be psyched, right?" 
because she stood by him. He ended up keeping almost all of it. He was like, oh, <laughs> just that's why it's so long. He was just like, hey, let me have it. <laughs> you know, I was willing to cut the cut, but you know, didn't have to. That's a great story. All right. How about you, Barney? What's, your, what's yours right. out of, the, out of the, the fulls and the halves you've seen? Yes, my no, I've 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 seen I've seen them all. The the only ones that I, I'm I'm foggy on are some of the ones he wrote, like like True Romance. True Romance, I think I saw it in the theater, but it was so long ago I couldn't tell you anything except that I it really holds up, Barney. Uh, all I can tell you is I thought what's her name was uh, really cute. Um, can't remember her name. Morning. Who? No, who? No. It was. Uh, da, 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 da. You know who I'm talking about? The one from yeah. uh, who was in the, the, the Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Arquette. Oh my god. Right. Yeah, he used he used her sister in Pulp. Right. Right, her sister was uh, uh, Stoltz. Uh, I just saw that scene. They're uh, a great couple. That's one of his, by the way, Eric Stoltz. Like, where is that? He was that? great. Oh. He was so great in that scene. I'm just, I just watched that scene. You know, where he's selling the some drugs. Some kind of wonderful mask and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> he did some like sort of arty, sort of like you know, ensemble. <laughs> I, I know. I think he got into theater too. I, I read somewhere. He's yeah, he's an underrated actor. Um, I should do. No, that. I think he's rated. He's rated. <laughs> he's, uh, underused, under underutilized. Um, yeah. Lovely guy, but uh, Pulp Fiction was your best work. Yeah. He, he peaked. He peaked in Pulp Fiction. Um, all right, so, Mark, you were dogs. Uh, uh, Rovner yeah. was uh, Hateful Eight. So here's the thing. I'd like to say something different, but I'd be lying. So I'm also Hateful Eight, and let me, let me tell you why. Again, to get back to what I was saying, I kind of went away. I liked Tarantino when he came out, kind of went way away from him, and I was like, I'm an adult. I don't like that. And then... Then it kind of built up like I saw Glorious Bastards. Was like, oh, that's good. Oh, that that scene where he, with the you know that scene at the end was just ridiculous. You know, you know when he when he fucking blows up Hitler. You know, and then and then and then after that, then Django came out and I saw that. I said, okay, then oh, all that torture stuff, cutting his balls off, and you know Samuel. Like, I, but here's the thing. I, I loved both those films, and I was fighting it. It was like, you know, it's that whole thing, like when you see an ex-girlfriend, you're like, no, no, I'm not into her anymore. Oh, my God, she's coming over. She's coming over. You know, it was like, and and then and then it finally peaked um, with uh, with Hateful Eight, and I saw, like, I literally, I went back to the theater, and I, had, I haven't done that since I was, like, in my 20s. I was like, I went back, like, I don't know, the next day, like, two days later. I was like, I have to see it on the screen again. Like, it, it and I was like, I just have to give in. I have to give in. So... So I mean I like all three of those. Inglorious Passwords I've only seen twice, and um, what, what's the one after that? Uh, um, uh, it was Django, and then there was J- Django. Day. Django I've seen like three times, and Hateful Eight. Django freaked like, me out. That one got me. When yeah. Hateful Eight though I've seen like maybe four times. Well, Django had that same kind of what I was talking about with the shifting gears, like the whole stuff with the dogs and the slavery, and you know you can say it's gratuitous and oh secretly he really hates, but to me like he was. In some ways, more than twelve years of slavery. Some other films, like yes, it's ridiculous, and the, sh- the shootout at the end is a cartoon. But some of the other stuff, the way they're treating the stuff, is like to, to me, that made it more visceral than anything. Like, that the, the shootout at the end, I can watch a million times. That scene with the dogs in Django, I, I don't like. I almost look away at that scene. Like that was like too fucking much. Or the two guys fighting in. in, in, in oh in, yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene too. Yeah. What was that? It was pure entertainment. That was, and that's what Tarantino does: is he takes it to the next level. In Batman, they snap the the pool cue in half and throw it in front of three well, guys. Says we're well, going to get one. But I'll say it's pure entertainment. But I, I bet you it was based on real. Like I haven't looked into it enough. But that whole Mandingo fighting thing, I bet that was something that really yeah, happened. Like, because sure. he's the kind of guy like he'll he'll make shit up, but he'll also get the details right. I, 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 uh, Rovner, I think I told you I did an interview with my father-in-law. 
specifically, you guys should listen to it if you haven't, specifically on uh, Once, Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because my father-in-law mm-hmm. was a writer for Rolling Stone back in the 70s and early 70s, and he met a lot of the Manson family. So he actually, wow. so he was telling me, but he was also talking about he was in LA in 69, 70, 71. And he said, Tarantino got the details right. He said, there was an ad on the bus that everyone saw for some corny doctor he said that ad was like he's like the details he got so dead on which was interesting constantly educating us on his pop culture like what he loves yeah. right you'll see movie posters in somebody's apartment and you're like why would that person have that obscure fucking movie poster they wouldn't yeah, yeah. Britain, you know he's like learn learn something you know <laughs> is he a better storyteller a better a better character developer a better, better than who? designer a music organizer. What is it that makes him special? Is it just that he's one of the rare ones that has all of it? He's a filmmaker, and he really is a true auteur. You know, Spike Lee, him, Kubrick. Like, you see the movie, and you go, that. well, more than anybody you see a Tarantino film, you're like, that's a fucking Tarantino. You know, I would argue Kubrick is diverse enough that you go, ah, you know, I don't know that, like, you know, 2001 looks the same as Clockwork Orange. I wouldn't say that that's like the awkwardness of him. It's Tarantino very specifically goes, you're going to feel me. I'm in the movie, right? He's literally in the movies, but he's also like, you're going to hear my music. You're going to look at my movies. I'm going to reference shit I like, black exploitation yeah, yeah. and 70s shit. And that's, you can just deal with it. It's, it's Muscle like, cars, deal with it. Whereas, whereas like, like, like subject matter wise, like Tarantino is a little, even if it's Nazi Germany or if it's you know Hollywood in '69. Subject matter wise, it's kind of the same things. Whereas like Kubrick, the subject, like Kubrick's genres are all over the place: science fiction, horror, yeah. with The Shining. Here's what I'll say about Kubrick, since you mentioned Kubrick, and I will never uh, escape an opportunity to talk about Kubrick. Um, uh, Kubrick uh, had there was uh, out in L.A. about five six years ago. There was a, an exhibit uh, where they had all the props and stuff from Kubrick's movies, um, from The Shining, from two thousand one. You know the 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 Corova Milk Bar. If you're into Clockwork Orange, and this is what amazed me when I got there, because you know like. Like a, a, when you're in film school, or even if you're into a band, you like you, you see like you know, oh man, that that guitar he uses these certain kind of strings, or like oh that filmmaker uses this kind of lens and this kind of thing. And when I saw Kubrick's like sets and the stuff he picked, and they they recreated it like pretty pretty much the same as it was in the movies, you're like, oh, he's a fucking designer. So and I'm not I'm and I'm relating it to Tarantino in this way. I don't think Tarant- I think Tarantino's films generally look really great. I think very often it's the DPC and the editors he hires. But I, I think Tarantino sort of designs scripts in the same way. Like Kubrick is not the same scriptwriter that Tarantino is. Like Kubrick always had a co-writer, and like Eyes Wide Shut was a terrible script in my opinion. But like, the, like some filmmakers, like you know, it's like. Like with Scorsese, maybe it's the camera moves. With Kubrick, it's the de- the design of each shot. With Tarantino, it's the design of each scene. It's both the words and the silences, like we were talking about. So I think he's like a. He uses music like Tarantino does, or Tarantino uses music like Scorsese does. You know. Yeah, I, I think well, I, every filmmaker I like uses. I, Kubrick was really good at music. The whole, you know, the whole Blue Danube, and uh, you know, he had, yeah. you know, he Kubrick had somebody score that, and then, but it's, it was dem- the ultimate demo love. The story is that. He had someone score that, and he had Blue Danube as a placeholder. And then he's like, "No, fuck it, we're just going to license the the classical music." And no one told the the, uh, the composer. And he was he went opening night. The movie shows up, and none of his music. <laughs> like, I don't even think Tarantino would be that cold. Tarantino would fire your ass, you know. What what do you what do you think, Mark? What's your what's your favorite aspect of of Tarantino as a filmmaker? I mean, it sounds like you like everything he does. You know. 
I grew up going to the movies and just wanting to be transported away from reality, right? Yeah. Whether it was Rocky and believing that he's going to take on Drago or certainly Apollo Creed, the big colors, the explosions. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to content and how it makes you feel. And what Tarantino is able to do is, did you ever see the show Dream On? It was on yeah. HBO, character yeah. Martin Tupper. Basically, he lived his life, and then every time something happened in his real life, flashed it inside his mind. It was a movie scene, why I oughta. You know, whatever those scenes were, and then it came. Tarantino put his movies together like that in that every scene was the baddest ass scene you could have and the best performance you could have with the coolest design you could have. You cheered for the bad guys. You got over the blood and the violence. He checked everything at the door and it was just sensational. And you made the reference, you know, you, you, you pretend you don't want to see your ex-girlfriend or something like that. In a Tarantino yeah. movie, you do want to see your ex-girlfriend, <laughs> right, but you right, want right. to see her maimed. You want to see her with like her leg cut off or just got burned in a fire. And I'm not saying that's what I want, but that's where he goes. He goes to this deep, dark thing that we all have that we're socialized out of. The, the animal. Yeah, the animal. We all love it. Yeah. I, I think Mark just turned this into an NSFW podcast, but that's that's fine. Not safe for work. It's never safe for work. Never, well, then I do. Well, part of, I don't even know what I said. <laughs> uh, no, just just you know. Well, I think you're right. Maybe it's it's my issue. Like you're saying, like you're saying about the girlfriend. It's like oh, you, you in well, like I was saying before, it's like revenge. Like like the violence in his films, even, whether you empathize with the character who's doing it or not, you understand why he's doing it. You know what I mean? You understand, like, you know, I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Like, you're like, oh, man, how many times, even if you didn't act on it, how many times, like, the bully in high school, like, you, you wanted to do that? Like, he clicks into a thing, and it might be a male thing. I'm not going to say. I'm sure women have it, too. But it's like he clicks into this this primal, it's primal, it, this primal part of your brain that goes, yes, fucking kick that fuck. You know, it's, it's the same thing we get out of sports. You know, it's like when our fucking team wins, when you sack Tom Brady, it's like, yeah, fucking put him on the ground, you know? And, uh, um, I think that he has a code, right? And he puts a moral code, even the worst, worst people, the you know, people that murder and maim and all that stuff, there's a code to it, it's right? A, it's, it's like, like an honor code, yeah. It's an honor code, and it's like, look, um, think about the scene in Pulp Fiction where uh, Bruce Willis escapes, right? And he stops, because he hears what's going on, and he knows, he's like, there's his chance to get the fuck out of there, but he's like, no man. Deserves to go through what that guy's going through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he takes his time. So he has the code, right? And he goes, I got it. I guess I, I can't not do this, right? right? Even right. though I might die. Yeah, yeah. But I got it. Fucking do it. And he takes his time to find the white weapon, which is an amazing thing. He's like, change. <laughs> hmm. Details. He's, details. So his details. And then you're like, that's Tarantino because he goes, no, I'm going to fuck you up with a sword. You know, like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Torio Hanzo. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, guys, this is so much I'm fun. I'm afraid to talk now. I see that's that's the thing with Tarantino. I'm going to take it as an opportunity to jump in. Is go, he go for takes it. The, he takes the filter off. There's nothing that is off limits with him, yeah. and we are not judged for enjoying it. Like the Mandingo scene freaked me out. I was on a date when I saw it, and I remember thinking, I don't know if I should <laughs> be enjoying this right now. But it made it onto the screen for a reason. So if it's not suitable for work, my apologies. No, no, I'm, Let's I'm, turn it around and say that uh, she's hoping to see him maimed. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just busting, busting your chops, busting your 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 something. Well, wait, wait. Let me ask you though. So wait, in the same way, like me and my buddies tried to have a date from Clockworks. How did your date work out with the? That's uh, uh, Mike. How he thinks it worked out, and he's probably right. Is that your wife? No. It always works out for more. Oh, okay. um, so I was going to ask this one just to, cause I think it was, you know, it's kind of fun to think about what is your favorite, I would say moment from a movie, but I would go with 
even more specific, like the favorite Quentin Tarantino line that he's written. I mean, immediately comes to mind for me is dogs, right? Like right away, are you going to bark little doggy or are you going to bite? That's one. Or one of the first lines in the movies, Kaitel, is one of the most famous Tarantino lines ever. And he utters it in the first fucking moments of his film career. Is Kaitel going, if you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you guys you probably know the ones better than me. So, Mark, Mark, you go next, and then I'll, I'll I'll pretend I'm trying to remember one while you guys are going. Oh, oh boy, God, that's it's it's you tough. Mark all day, little doggy, or are you gonna bite? Is a line that I've actually used in situations where I wanted to be the alpha, and even if it's with a wink and a nod, there's no comeback to that. There's absolutely no comeback to that, and that's what he does. So, if we were to go through, I think the most memorable line in Kill Bill was when he did the anime. And the little girl was hiding under the bed and uh, they stabbed yeah. her father through the top of the bed. The blood, or maybe it was the mother. The blood was coming down. She covered her face and all you saw was the text whimper, right? It was brilliant. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Man, well, I, I, you guys probably know all the lines better than me. I'm the one I keep coming back to that stayed in my head and I am not even up to it on the rewatch. So this state of, I don't think I've seen Pulp Fiction since it came out is I'm going to get medi- medieval on your ass. I don't even know if that's right, but yeah, that's, it's, so, it's, it's close like, enough, right? And they're going to, you know, like we're going to get medieval. Oh, wait, all right. Sorry. I got, I got the, uh, <laughs> the uh, Whose motorcycle yeah. is this? It's a chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? It's Zed's. Who is Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. <laughs> um, just like, we, we quoted her more than anybody, right, over the years. Just like, I'm a blueberry pancakes. <laughs> why, is he married? why has he got this French girlfriend who wants blueberry pancakes? None of it made sense, but it was fine. Isn't, there a, isn't there a scene like right before the, all the violence where he's talking about her pot belly or something? Isn't there like she is? She she's have a pot belly because she thinks it's sexy. Yeah, uh, it's I remember. I remember. Love. I remember. Like, oh, that's like that's the sexiest fucking thing. <laughs> can say, like, I don't know. Like that. That weirdness. Like, I, I love. Will it. you give me oral pleasure? <laughs> and he says, "Will you kiss it?" <laughs> she kisses. <laughs> well, I mean, think about Christopher Walken pulling out the watch. You know, the watch that his dad had. And as he's giving the story about how the watch was passed from this man to this man to this POW to this man, stuck up the ass. When they co- when they finally show the watch, he's like, "He died as dysentery." And then you see the watch, and it's all flogged up. I mean, that's funny. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Wes Anderson detail brilliant. Like it just didn't need to be done, but he does it. That's yeah. what he does. He, he has detail in his scripts like Wes Anderson has in his in his scenes. You know, like, that Walken speech is fucking ridiculous, yeah. by the way. I mean, I, I just watched it today again, and you just saw it again, right, Barney? Uh, I mean, it comes out of nowhere, right? Wait, are you talking about pulp, pulp Fiction? If you think about why he did it, it's to establish that Bruce Willis has to leave to go get his fucking watch and kill Vince Vega. That's it's a, It moves the plot forward, right? But wow, like you could do anything to do that. You could put one line of dialogue. You could do anything in filmmaking to move the plot forward like that. He chooses to create some fucking backstory about the watch and have Christopher Walken walk in and just deliver probably the greatest like single paragraph in moviedom. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not up to that part in the rewatch, but not up my ass for two years. <laughs> what's what's the line in Kill Bill when she wakes up in the hospital? Isn't there some famous line like like? What's the whole thing when she gets and she's like she can't even walk and she's getting out of the bed? Isn't there some big? 
That's some big one. Not famous enough, Barney. Yeah, I was, well, like, if you guys yeah, don't yeah. remember it, then no. Not. That scene is disgusting when she bites the guy's tongue out of his yes. throat yes. and yes. then starts slamming the door on his head, going, "Where's Bill? Where's yep. Bill?" And again, to detail, sorry if it's NSW. Uh, not no, 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 dude. The dude, Vaseline we're... jar that he pulls out when he's when they're letting when they're letting people go in and have sex with women that are in comas or whatever. Right. And he pulls out this disgusting Vaseline jar that's just covered in pube hairs and <laughs> fucking death. Right. And he's like, no punching him because it'll leave a bruise and no doing this. You're going, oh, my God, this guy deserves to die. So when she's slamming his head in the door, yes. you're like, yes. Yeah. And then he had the freaking keychain that was pussy wagon. And that was the car she got in. Pussy wagon. Well, well all, all of Bill Kill is, is kind of proof that it's not a it's not a men versus women thing. You know, like and people like, oh, the scene in uh, Hollywood when he's slamming her head into the thing. It's like. She's a Manson girl, you know? I mean, you really should listen to the podcast I did with my father-in-law because what's interesting, there was another movie about Manson that came out called Charlie's Girls that was all about how those girls were victims. It's a much more, like, sort of PC. But it's, it's still it's still an interesting movie. But it's just like, like the Tarantino version is like, no, she's a fucking murdering hippie. I'm going to slam her fucking face. But the Kill Bill thing is, it's like, no, these guys are fucking scumbags. They're raping people in comas. I'm going to fuck him up, you know? It's like, it, it's, it's, it's maybe not, not the way society should actually distribute justice, but it's the way we all want justice distributed at some level. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's what Mark's saying. If we're being truly honest with yeah. ourselves, watch Tarantino movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's us being honest. We're like, that's why I like that shit. Well, it's it's better to put it in a movie screen <laughs> than to actually. You know. Tarantino, Tarantino cuts through a lot of issues then that are going on now, and you can cut this part out. No, but go for it. In in Reservoir Dogs, Tim Roth is so underground, right? He's so entrenched in catching these bad guys. Where, you know, you don't see the crime, but you know what happened in the crime. There is one scene that you do see, and that's when he goes to carjack that car. Right. The woman pulls the gun out of her glove compartment and shoots him. That's how he's wounded through the movie. He's and bleeding he on the floor for the rest of the movie. Yeah. yeah. But if you remember, he shot her and killed her. Right. Kills her. And he's yeah. looking at his gun. He's looking at her. It was that moment that, that, that it was tormenting. And you're, and you're thinking this guy's so far undercover that he can do something so reprehensible right. to fulfill right. his mission. And in real life, that just doesn't work, right? Yeah, Somebody yeah, yeah. gets shot in the crossfire, it's not allowed. And Tarantino, again, just taps into these, these moments, these heads or tail moments of do I jump up the diving board or not? Does he give in on that mission? Yeah. So. And similarly, he has Keitel waste those cops. Like, as they pull up, he's just standing there with his guns out, and he just fires, like, what, 50 times into that, that squad car. Mm-hmm. As Tim Roth is watching, he's like, I know those dudes. Those are fucking rookies, you know? Right. <laughs> that, right. Again, that, that gets back to Jackie Brown. Like, I think I counted it. The number of gunshots. I think there's only four gunshots in Jackie Brown. There's like, there's, like, there's, like, two when he shoots the guy in the car. There's two when De Niro shoots uh, Bridget Fonda in the parking lot. And then there's one. So I guess that's five. There's one when... Um, Ordell shoots uh, um, De Niro. Um, did you want to talk about the bong, the bong hit? It, like your, I just think it's like yeah. you know, De Niro showing up in that movie was as as surprising as like other scenes in Tarantino and, movies. And he's like this, he's like this, and the whole movie's like, yeah, he's just, he's just like, yeah. yeah. It's like you have one of the world's greatest actors, arguably <laughs> the greatest actor of our time, doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a, you're like walking in a shopping mall and going. You know, like doing like those looks, you know, doing De Niro looks, you know. Why doesn't De Niro get the Christopher Walken speech ever? Yeah. <laughs> 
But but the whole thing about De Niro though is 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 like the looks on his face, like even even in the Scorsese films. And I I just watched um and I'd never seen it. What was uh, Scorsese's first film? Uh, mean Streets. Like first of all, I was surprised how amateur. I mean, it really feels like a student film in parts. But De Niro is like you're like oh I get it. That guy's gonna be a fucking star because just the way he goes. The way he looks at something, I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge De Niro fan. It's fucking great. It's just and then you fucking... watch him in the Irishman, and you go, you know what? Just move on, move on. <laughs> you know, you know what? You know what? He was great. You know what? What? Did, what, what? First of all, that all that. Did you see that somebody like did the makeup from the Irishman and did it better? They better than the shit that they the some kid like with a fucking software. Um, right. But th- I thought the best scene in the Irishman was at the end when he's sitting there. And he said, "Yeah, look, look, you know, you know." He's talking the nurse, you know, and it's he. That should have been the whole movie about about a bunch of gangsters, like after, you're like, you know, don't fucking put De Niro and and Pacino and in, in makeup and digital shit. Just make it all about like they're talking about, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be that story about um, you know, the 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 uh, the, the union guy. Like just just have a bunch of like. Like, I mean, it could almost be like a soprano scene. Like, what happens when they all get so fucking old? They're in old age homes. Like, you know, like, that could be a good Tarantino film. That was the book end of the film career. Mean Streets, they had that shot where De Niro's overhead kicking the guy, and he's got that look, and his feet are dulling. And then he yeah. does it, the Irishman, and he has everything but a respirator and palsy's hanging <laughs> on to. <laughs> you're basically like, I appreciate what you did, but you can't do it anymore. You can't. You can't. Well, the, the other thing, like, they, they can, di- even if they got the digital faces right, which I don't think they did, um, I was watching a little behind the scenes, and there was like, there was a, a scene where where Pacino's supposed to be like forty, and of course he's whatever seventy or whatever, and he's supposed he's they're wa- they, they're in a room and he's supposed to get up out of the couch and and um um uh, Scorsese said that one of his assistant directors came up to him and he was like great that's good let's and they were gonna wrap it and the assistant came up and said uh Martin he's, he's like what he goes um I, I think Mr Pacino kind of got up he kind of looked a little hunched like I think you know he's supposed to be forty he should and he's like and, and Scorsese says okay you can tell. Him. <laughs> You know, right. Some twenty-five-year-old, thirty-year-old that says that you go tell Al fucking Pacino, <laughs> you go tell Scarface that he's not doing it. I, I don't know if they really don't stop it. acting like such a wuss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Any any last words on Tarantino before we? Uh, I got to sign off in a minute, but this was this was fun, guys. I can't wait for his tenth movie. I have no idea what it is. Does anybody? I mean, does he? Know? I thought there was some rumor about he's doing a Star Wars film, or is that bullshit? Is that online bullshit? No, but I, I was probably reading I mean, the onion. Like to see that, like, what does he do to a Star Wars film? It'd be amazing. Like having stormtroopers sitting around a table talking about their day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a fucking pain in my ass. Why don't you get rid of her? I can't get. What am I get rid of her? She, my father will kill me. And you're like, what? The stormtroopers. And 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 then they, and then. In a Tarantino Star Wars, like you would find out what a lightsaber really does to the human body, <laughs> you know, like it would be very detailed. Slow motion slicing. Yeah, yeah. it's like shit. You know. Scene in Death in Death Proof, man. I, that car crash is like I know it's. He thinks it's one of his worst films. I think it's one of his most entertaining films. Maybe because I'd never seen it before. I just was smiling. You know, I know it's not a great movie. But I was wildly entertained. Well, right? well you tell me even that ends with the girls get revenge on him. I forgot it because all I remember from that film is that car scene. But they kick the shit out of him. The, they, they, he, they kick his ass at the end, right? Wait, so like she has the, times, the machine right? gun on the leg <laughs> and all that? They punch him 7,000 times. Yeah. <laughs> They're just kicking his ass. Then they go to the credits, and then they come back for one more shot. And <laughs> I probably missed that. Rosa, uh, uh, what's her? Uh, Rosario Dawson? Right? Is that who it was? No, wasn't it? Uh, it's uh, it's actually the Me Too lady, isn't it? What's her name? Um, 
whatever. It's the the character. She takes her boot and kicks Ro- his face. Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Right? Yeah, Rose McGowan. Yeah. Kicks his face in. Jesus. Like, actually crushes his skull with his boot. That's the, the final moment. They're like, oh, they're not just kicking his ass. They're going to murder him. Yeah. <laughs> it inspired Game of Thrones when the mountain broke that guy's face in. Right? Like, uh, that was kind of it. Like, he took it. He, he set the tone for everything. Still, my, my favorite. Hey, this is the last round. Your favorite uh, Tarantino death. And mine is, and again, I saw it again. I saw it again like a year ago, is the, the Hitler Hitler death. Oh, blowing his face into nothingness? Yeah, I just, I just thought, like, uh, I mean, like, who can be against that? It's Hitler. <laughs> it's like, how can you be against that? Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Um, it's also, over, like, we're talking about over-the-top violence. Yeah. You're like, I mean, I don't even know if a head would do that. No, <laughs> no, no. It, it was pretty, let's say it was a cartoon, like, but. Um, and favorite death, I kind of like, uh, you know, uh, say goodbye to your Nazi balls. <laughs> Is that from the same scene? What's that? Is that from the same? Oh, no, that's that's from the under the table. That's from the, in the, in the <laughs> restaurant. Nazi- and then they're like, because they all realize, yeah. what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To not kill each other, or it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. So, like, I love, I love everything about that scene. I'm not sure if it's a death or it's like the beginning of all deaths. But you know, when Fastbender's just kind of going, well, what if I speak in the King's English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just saw, I saw that on the YouTube. That, and he's like, he's like, he's lighting a cigarette really slow. Yeah, and yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the way that that uh, Lucy Liu died. In Kill Bill, when she takes the top of her head off, but really, in the is that when they're swinging? Set it up again. I, I remember the fight scene, but it's been they, a while. They were out. They were out in the backyard of wherever they were, and it was it was snowing, and it had that thing in the background that captured water, and right. it dripped, and it just created that dunk, and then it dipped, and then they were having the sword fight, and at one point, Uma Thurman finally comes out and takes a slice, and you don't know what happened. Then you see Lucy lose. Oh, yeah, the scale. Yes, yes, yes. She says that really was a Hattori Ohanzo sword, right? <laughs> right. Just, sorry, sorry, I disrespected yeah. you. Like it was, it was this beautiful moment of honor, right? Like she realized you bested me, and I'm sorry. And that's what he did going back to the code. So he had a lot of creative deaths, but that one was pretty fun for me. Yeah. All right, and and on that note, I think I got guys. Um, Mike Rovner, Mark Baba. Um, that was fun. Thank you. You guys, you guys, your, your Tarantino expertise far outshines mine. I probably spoke too much, but it, uh, it was very educational. And now I'm going to go and look at all the ones I have on Blu-ray, which is Kill Bill 1 and 2, Django, and Hateful Eight, uh, and Pulp Fiction. So I'm watching those five. So now i got to get the other five and uh, make it complete. Um, any last words, gentlemen? We'll see you in the theater for number 10. Yeah. They're all going together. Look, well, hey, let's do this again after 10 comes out. We'll just do like a Whatever that tenth movie yeah. is, it's packed. Stand and just put Mike and I on. We'll just we'll just ramble for a while. Yeah, any topic. Yeah, well, 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 well let, it'll be like a um, what's that movie where everyone screams at it? You know the uh, Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. Yeah. yeah, you guys like the Rocky Horror of uh, Tarantino. Yeah, we could be. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Um, I will uh, let you after I edit this and uh, make it a I'll have a R G and a P G and an X version, and uh, we'll all right, just put the X up. Put it for all. Of them. All right, guys. Take care. Be good. All right, boys. Hey, thanks for including me. I hope it was fun. Yeah, of course, man. It was fun. Be well, everybody. Okay. So that was the Tarantino talk. I hope you guys had fun. Uh, We sure did. We really had a blast doing it. Um, I know we kind of went off the rails here and there, but, uh, you know, that's just how it goes. Please uh, click like. 
subscribe. Um, make sure you um, email me if you have any any topics, any movies you want me to discuss or suggested uh, guests. Um, the email is barneybarnbarn at gmail.com. And we do have a Facebook page at uh, Mr. Movie Club. Um, we don't have an Instagram, but maybe we will someday. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Um, keep watching movies and TV shows and whatever. Peace. Peace.